for the word of God? Have I done enough for the Lord? Father in heaven, we come to your word. And Father, may we reflect upon our past. And Lord, we know we have many regrets because we could have done so much more for you. I pray, Lord, that we could change that, Father, and we might seek to be more committed to thee in all we do and say in the way we live. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you will take your Bibles with me this morning, let's turn to uh, 1 John chapter 2. We're continuing our series in this tremendous letter to the churches. The, the Apostle John's writing to the churches. And we are in chapter 2. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 3 to 6 this morning. Chapter 2, 1 John 3 to 6. Now, basically, to, to summarize these verses, this subject that, the, that John is going to write about, um, well, it's, it's in my title of the message, Keeping It Real. Keeping It Real. How many of you kids uh, ever use that, that phrase? You know what it is. You know what it means, right? Uh, Hey, I'm, you know, you hear people say, I'm keeping it real. You know, it's, it's, it's a language uh, today that people use. And, and uh, uh, many times, uh, you know, uh, people, some people say, what do you mean by keeping it real? What, what does he mean by that? Well, basically, the original meaning of this phrase in, in um, modern understanding is, being true to oneself in an authentic manner. So that's pretty simple and straightforward. It means being true to oneself in an authentic manner. In other words, you're not fake. We're not faking it. And John basically is telling the church and asking them, are you faking it? Are you being real with God and with, with the body of Christ? And we, we begin to see this in verse 3. So look with me at verse 3. John writes, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. Notice he He's, he's encouraging them, saying, well, by this we know that we have come to know him, if what? If we're obeying his commandments, if we're keeping his commandments. That word to know in this verse uh, is important to understand in the original language, in the Greek. Okay, There are two basic words for the word know which is just translated the one word no in our English language. The first Greek, Greek word for no is oida, the, the word oida. And this means and speaks of a knowledge uh, uh, that is gained by abstractive, uh, 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 abstract learning. In other words, uh, I go to school. You kids went to school, you go in school, what are you doing? You're 
you're learning things about people, places, history, uh, all kinds of things. You're learning that and, and you're obtaining the knowledge of it. So that's what that first Greek word means. But John does not use that word here for, for no. The Greek word he uses for no here is gnosto. Gnosko. And this word in the Greek means obtaining knowledge through personal experience. Obtaining a knowledge through personal experience. It's getting to know somebody in a personal, personal way. When we had Jerry, uh, not Jerry, uh, Jonathan Falwell. We had Jonathan Falwell here at our church a few years ago to speak at our one of our anniversary Sundays. And uh, he was a, a tremendous blessing. He flew in in his private plane uh, from Lynchburg. And, of course, he's the pastor of Thomas Rhodes Baptist Church and the son of Jerry Falwell. So it was a, a, a joy to, to meet him and, and, and to fellowship with him that day, get to know a little about him. But after it was all done, he got on his plane and, and flew back home. So I could say to you, I know Jerry Falwell. And, you know, that sounds pretty impressive. If I go around saying, yeah, me and Jerry, uh, Jerry, why am I saying Jerry? Jonathan. Jonathan. Well, me and Jonathan are like this. You know, yeah, yep. And then I just leave it at that, and I just am acting like, like I know him. Because I met him that one day, I can act like I've known him all my life, or we are, have an intimate relationship or friendship. But I really don't, do I? Not according to this word that John is using, the word know, to know somebody. This means that if I were to say, I'm use this, using this word, I know Jonathan Falwell personally, I, the only way I could use this word is if I spent time with him alone uh, over the days, months, years. We built up a friendship and we stay in contact with one another and we get to know each other. And, and, and when I do that and, and I become intimately acquainted, we become intimate uh, uh, with each other as friends, we develop a genuine deep friendship. That's a different knowing. That's just not knowing someone surface, in a surface manner, but it's knowing him in a personal way. John is saying this about knowing Christ. You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, John is concerned about uh, how close we are to the Lord Jesus in our daily walk. Really, how much, how do I know him intimately in my, my life as, as I, go, th as I uh, go day by day through my relationship with him? Now, want you to understand something here that this passage of scripture 
the, these few verses, uh, Bible scholars differ, differ on exactly what John's emphasis is. Some Bible scholars feel that John is speaking in these verses about uh, the unsaved versus unsaved, okay? And when you first read it that way, if you just read it and you, even you took it out of context, uh, yes, that, that, that could fit. You know, if I know, uh, by this we know that we have come to know him, and we can think of that as the idea of coming to know him in salvation, that moment I come to accept him as Savior. And I, with the, by this, I know that I know him if I'm keeping his commandments. And that, that basically is true. I can know I am I'm truly born again by, in, in my heart by the, by the desires I have and the desire to please him, desire to obey God's word and keep his commandments. But there is the other uh, interpretation or understanding of this passage which other Bibles, great Bible scholars hold to. And I tend to lean that this way. Um, there are those like John Walward and others who hold to this position that John is talking, remember, John is talking to the church. He's talking to believers. And what has he been talking to through chapter one and the first two verses of chapter two? He's been talking to the church about fellowship with the Lord and fellowship we have through Jesus Christ, the fellowship we have with God, okay? So the, uh, there's the other understanding or interpretation of this, that John is talking to believers not, not about, uh, well, are, are you saved in the church or are you not saved? in the church and and he's differentiating here he's actually talking about the the depth of our spiritual walk with the lord jesus christ how close am i to jesus and that and and again using that word knowledge am i becoming more intimate with jesus in my daily walk in the way i act and and, and spending time with him and just uh, making sure that I am obeying his word. You know, John here in the context is dealing with the fellowship we have with Jesus Christ. And basically, if you want to use that term again, keeping it real with God. Am I keeping it real with God, my relationship with him as a child of God? Because how many times... Have you found yourself, as I have found myself, faking it sometimes? We, we can come across, you know, when we're around others, we come to church, and we look pretty spiritual. You know, and, and, and we can put on the, the good front. We, we, have the, we have the good words, you know, we can sound spiritual, and yeah, and, and we act like the Lord and I are just like this, you know. But in reality... I know that in my life during the week, I'm not pleasing him, but I'm doing my own thing. I'm living the way I want to live. And, 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 and I'm actually not obeying his word, keeping his commandments. But I'm kind of, uh, I'll do things that are maybe so involved in the world that they're worldly things that God is displeased with. 
And so I'm not pleasing him. And therefore, what happens if, if, I'm, if I'm living my own way during uh, the week? And, and really, I don't care about my relationship. I'm not thinking of my relationship with, with Lord Jesus and staying intimate with him by reading his words, taking time to pray and, and have quiet time with him and, and, and just meditate and talk to him during the day and get to know his heart through his word. If I don't do that, what happens to the fellowship? What happens to my level of spiritual closeness with the Lord? We're separated. Suddenly, I'm not that close. I'm not walking. I'm not that spiritual with, uh, you know, uh, in my life. I'm not uh, deeply acquainted and and living growing in christ growing closer to him and john is basically saying christian be careful check yourself out how close are you how close are you to jesus christ and make sure that it is real because if you if, if if i am desiring to walk closely to the lord my life is going to show it and I am going to know in my heart that I am seeking to obey his commandments. What John is talking about is the idea of abiding in Christ. Turn to John chapter 15 with me. So John is writing down what Jesus said in the upper room. John chapter 15, verse 1. And so this is this too... Uh, basically concerns fellowship. Again, this is a passage in John chapter 15 where Jesus was with his, his own 12 disciples in the upper room before he went to the cross, and he's opening up his heart to them. <clears throat> and here again, he's not talking about saved versus unsaved. And that if the branch breaks off and they're unsaved, they used to be saved, but they're not. Uh, that goes down the wrong Uh, the wrong uh, trail, what Jesus is trying to say. But look what he's trying to say. Jesus is talking about fellowship. Verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, every branch, if you're in Christ here, that means you're saved. So you, and you can't lose your salvation. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, what he means by takes away is means make useless, okay? A Christian who is not abiding, uh, is not bearing fruit, basically the Lord can't use. He goes on, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. Makes it sometimes hard because he wants us to bear more fruit, that we may bear more fruit. You are already clean, verse 3, because of the word which I spoke to you. So there is salvation. He's talking about you're already clean. You've been, you're born again. You're, you're in the family. Okay? So that part is taken care of. But now comes the relationship part, the daily walk with Jesus. And that's what he's, he's focusing on. And Jesus says in verse 4, abide in in me and i in you the branch cannot bear fruit 
of itself unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. He's not talking about, are you saved or are you not saved? Jesus is talking about, how close are you walking with me? If you are seeking me and seeking to know me better, that's abiding in me. And if you abide in me, which means, and that word abide means to dwell with or to stay close to. If I am that way, seeking that on a daily basis, what is going to happen? I am going to begin to bear fruit for the glory of God. That fruit will be shown in my life. And what is some of that fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. Suddenly, your life, people will see the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, gentleness, kindness, self-control, all these things. Uh, You know, they, they will pour out of your life if we are abiding in Christ. And then he goes on. And he says, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I want you to understand that this this is the idea that John is trying to convey in 1 John. So go back to 1 John with me, if you will. Let's jump right back to 1 John chapter 2. So John's concerned about abiding in Christ, just like Jesus told the disciples, okay? Now look with me at verse 4. The one who says, he goes on and says, the one who says, I have come to know him, and he's talking about the Christian who says, I'm really close to the Lord. I really know him real well. You know, Jesus and I are like this. The one who says, I've come to know him and does what? Does not keep his commandments or obey his commandments is what? A liar. And the truth is not in him. Those are those. That's a strong statement by John. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the talkers, not the walkers. If you want to put it, put it in simple terms. Right. It's about those the when we when we're not really close to the Lord in our walk and but we act like it. We talk it. Talk like we are. We got people fooled, you know, and other believers. And the Lord says, you know, you're lying. How many how many of us after we were saved have ever lied? Or or do we have, we've never lied. We're pretty, we've never sinned after we were saved, have we? No, we've never lied. You ever lie? Yeah, of course we have, right? So John, when he says is a liar, he's saying Christians can lie. And they can lie about their depth of, of, of spiritual growth and how close they are walking with the Lord. And that's what he's and basically he's saying, you know, a person can go around and say, I am I and the Lord Jesus are close. But yet what I'm doing in my life or what's in my heart, I'm not obeying the word of God. If I'm not obeying his word and I may have people fooled, but I'm not obeying his word, then but I'm telling people I am right And I don't keep his commandments or his word. 
I'm basically a liar. That's what John's saying. And notice he says at the end of verse 4, and the truth is not in him. The truth is not in him. Now, some would take this verse, that statement, and go, the truth is not in him. Well, that means that he's not saved. Right away, that you see that phrase, the truth is not in him. That's why some Bible teachers look at this and go, well, he's talking about those who are saved, those who aren't. The unsaved are pretending they're Christians, but they're not really saved. And basically, they're lying. And the truth is in them, which they take to mean the truth uh, of salvation is not in him. But that's not what John is talking about. How do we know this? How do we know that he's not talking about the salvation experience? Okay, and I hope you you can follow along because it it can be a little confusing. But look back at verse 8 of chapter 1 now. Just go up to verse 8. What does it say there? What does John say? Because remember, he, John's been talking about sin in the Christian's life. And that sin can be confessed and forgiven because we're under the blood. Right? He's talking to Christians. And notice what he says in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And what does he say next? And the truth is not in us. Do you see that? The truth is not in us. What's he saying? He's, he's saying John is using the terms us and we. He's including himself. In other words, he's, he's talking to the church and saying, church, we can deceive ourselves when we go around saying, I, I, I don't have any sin. And yet we really do are, are sinning and haven't confessed sin. So he says here to believers, you can, you know, you can go around saying, yeah, I'm I'm walking close to the Lord, but we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. The truth about obeying his commandments, that truth. So I want you to see that because it's the same phrase that he used down here in verse four. Okay, so understand again, he's talking about the the Christian who is not holding on to the truth of obedience to the word of God. All right. And then uh, look at verse five and six together. He goes on and says, but whoever keeps his word. And that's again, the word keeps means obey. Whoever keeps or obeys his word in him, the believer, the love of God has truly been perfected. Some translations use the word completed, have been made complete. Uh, that word perfected or complete has the idea of maturity. Okay, so he who keeps God's word. If I am keeping God's word in my life, that's what I'm trying to do. And that doesn't mean I, I'm living a perfect life during the week. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to sin. But I know I can confess that sin and draw close once again to the Lord. But if I'm seeking to keep his word, what happens? I am going to have the love of God mature in me. And that means I am going to have more love for him and my Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to have more love for you, the brethren, the body of Christ. I'm going to have more love for one another. So 
And notice what he says there. By this we know, he uses the word know again at the end of verse 5. By this we know that we are in him. Okay? Now, again, when, you, when, when those who are reading this passage, if you just took it out of context and you saw that phrase, in him, you're thinking, well, he's talking about salvation. But what John is, John is using a different word than the Apostle Paul used and a different meaning. Here, when John says, in him, he's talking about abiding in him, which means I'm in close fellowship with Jesus today. The Apostle Paul, when you hear, have read in Romans and other of his letters, where Paul says, uh, we are in Christ. We are a new creation in Christ. We are in him. And the Apostle Paul uses that over and over again. When Paul uses it, he's talking about our salvation, our position, a permanent position that we, we arrive at when we accept Jesus as our Savior. Okay, So that's why, again, uh, to understand this, he is, Paul, John is talking about the abiding in the Lord, our, our, our fellowship with him. So by this, by keeping his word and by the love of God being perfected in me, I know that, that I am close to the Lord, and I'm not being a phony. I'm keeping it real before God and before others. And then verse 6, the one who says he abides, there's that word, right? Abides in him. So Again, talking about fellowship. The one who says he abides in him should what? If we say we are close to Jesus in our walk, in our spiritual walk, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked, as Jesus walked. He's basically saying, Christian, you, you, uh, if you say you are abiding in him, then your walk has to show it. Are you walking as Jesus would walk? And, and that means, am I thinking Jesus' thoughts? And, and, and what I, are my motives uh, uh, Jesus-centered? Or are they selfish-centered? Are the way I'm, I'm acting, the way I, my attitudes, is it Christ-like? Am I being Christ-like? You know that, remember those letters, what would Jesus do? Everybody used to wear the bracelets with those letters on it, meaning what would Jesus do? Basically, that's it. What would Jesus do? Am I doing what Jesus would do? John is saying that, saying my lifestyle and my heart, what's in my heart is, is going to tell me whether or not I'm truly abiding closely with the Lord. And I want you to see, turn to Second Chronicles in closing here. Second Chronicles chapter 16. We're going to the Old Testament because I want you to see a man <clears throat> who we, we, we kind of gives us this picture. Second Chronicles 16, verse 1. And it's King Asa of Judah, okay? By the way, if you, if you go back first, uh, chapter 14. 
back in chapter 14, before we read 16, back in chapter 14 here, it begins to talk about who Asa is. All right, so verse 1, verse one so Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and his son Asa became king in his place. And the land was undisturbed for 10 years during his days. Now look what it says in verse 2 about Asa. And Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. Remember throughout the book of Chronicles and, and Kings, you had different kings and it would say, but this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. But then when it starts, uh, there's a godly king is in place, it will say, but he did good and right things in the sight of the Lord. So this tells us that this man had a heart for God. All right? He's a godly king. So now go back to, over to ch- chapter 16. Okay? So he's been reigning good. What he did, he tore down the idols in, in Judah and pointed the people back to God. So he was doing the right thing. But here it comes. Suddenly, he stopped abiding in God. Look at verse 1. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. So he's being threatened, and the, the northern kingdom is now attacking the southern kingdom, Judah, which Asa is king of. So Asa starts uh, thinking of, well, hey, how can I get out of this problem? He doesn't go to, to the Lord now, but suddenly he's figuring out, uh, you know, I, I've, I got an idea. Verse 2, then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house, and he sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus. And by the way, this is, Aram was was an, an ally of the northern kingdom, Israel, that was attacking Judah. So what Asa figured to do was, well, I'll pay off uh, uh, king, king of Aram, and, and if I pay him off, he'll break his alliance with the northern kingdom, and then the northern kingdom will just stop their attack on me, uh, on us. And so that's what he did. Verse, so he, he sent this, all this money, and where did he get the gold and silver? From the house of the Lord. He raided God's temple uh, and, and took it up there and gave it to, to, to pay off this king. Let there be, verse 3, a treaty between you and me. It sounds like Russia, what's happening with Russia and Ukraine, doesn't a little bit. As between my father and your father, behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go and break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he may withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ijon, Dan, Alamam, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And it came about when Basha heard of it that he ceased fortifying Ramah and stopped his work. So what did he do? Asa suddenly had decided to do things on his own. He wasn't walking in close fellowship with the Lord. And so 
there's a prophet that calls on him verse, uh, and, and confronts him with this in verse 7. And at that time, Hananiah the seer, or prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you've relied on the king of Aram and not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. We're not the, Ethiopian, we're not the Ethiopians and the Lubim, an immense army with many chariots and horses, and yet because you relied on the Lord back then, the Lord delivered them out of your hands. Verse 9, For the Lord, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro through all the earth, that he may strongly support those whose what? Whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on you shall surely have wars. What is the prophet saying to Asa? He's saying, you used to be close. You used to abide with the Lord. You were close to the Lord, but suddenly you drifted. And now you're doing things in your own strength, with your own in, in, intellect and, and, uh, and decision-making. And you left God out of the picture. And basically that's sin. And what happened? Suddenly they started to lose. Uh, he, he would start losing battles in the future. You see, he's still a believer. King Asa is still a godly king, but he blew it. He allowed his spiritual life to drift away. And you and I... Today, Christian, this is the week that I can begin. I can begin to look at myself in the mirror and say, am I being real with God in my, my, my spiritual life? And look into our heart. Is there any sin that's unconfessed? Uh, any bad attitudes that uh, the, a place in my life where I'm not really obeying God's word? Let's this week look in the mirror and see what God will do. And if we start abiding in him, he will bless us and we will know that we are close to him because his spirit will bear witness with ours. Let's pray together. As our heads are bowed before the Lord this morning, dear Christian, perhaps you feel distant from the Lord right now. You just feel that you haven't been as close to him as you used to be. John's inviting you to come closer, to come back, to become more intimate with your Savior, the Lord Jesus, and be begin to change your priorities, begin to obey God's word again in your life, and make Jesus the center. May he have preeminence in our lives. You can make that decision right now. Why don't you do it? Just say, Lord, Lord Jesus, Forgive me for my sin, that I have not been walking close to you. I've been going my own path. Father, I want to be drawn back. Forgive me for my sin. And I want close fellowship with you once again like I used to have. Father, this is my desire. Do you make that commitment, Christian? If you're here without Jesus Christ in your life, you don't know the Savior. I invite you to accept him by faith to trust in him. He will save you from your sin right now and make you a child of God if you understand that he died on that cross for your sins. He took your punishment and if you but receive him by faith, he will cleanse you and forgive you of your sin and make you a child of God. If you understand that simple gospel, would you accept Christ even now? Just pray a simple prayer like this with me now. 
quietly in your heart. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you are now a child of God. Welcome to the family. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for once again speaking to our hearts. I pray that we might leave here seeking to have more intimate fellowship with you through your Son, the Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray for any who have accepted Christ here this morning that they would have that assurance that they belong to you now. No one can pluck them out of your hand. And now they can begin to obey your word and draw close to you and have a a beautiful relationship and fellowship with you and your son, the Lord Jesus, as they begin to grow. Father, thank you for what you've taught us this day. May we obey your commandments, obey your word, and keep that desire, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.